Welcome back, True Crime Army. I am your host, Margot, and this is Military Murder, a show where I discuss cases involving military members and veterans, and sometimes their spouses. But don't worry, you don't have to know anything about the military to listen, I promise. You just have to be a true crime enthusiast, and if that's you, welcome home. Many of you have asked me throughout the years why I have this show or why I created it, and here it is. The reason I created Military Murder was because as a former active duty JAG, I knew that true crime was a real thing in the military and the veteran community. But almost as quickly as a story about a military case broke, you never really heard anything else. Someone committed a crime, then silence for months, even years, and then so-and-so pled guilty and they were sentenced to X amount of time in jail. And by the time that we heard a resolution, I forgot what even happened. And it really just felt like it didn't even happen at all even though people were murdered and families lost everything. I felt that these stories were hushed up too quickly, but these stories serve as a cautionary tale. Evil has no boundaries, and sometimes even people who we would give our life to defend wouldn't blink an eye before snuffing out ours. This show is about vigilance. It doesn't matter your race, your socioeconomic status, or your education level. Remain vigilant. And on that note, shout out to my longtime listeners and my new listeners alike. Just to brag a little bit, Military Murder Podcast was recently featured on the new and noteworthy section of Apple Podcast, The Dark Side, and it was truly humbling. And it was all because of you, my true crime army. Seriously, if you're new here, I encourage you all to go back and listen to my older episodes. I believe that I've gotten much better at telling these stories and I no longer use background music during the main episode, but all of the stories that I've told all the way back from episode one until now, they build upon my goal that one day people will report what they see and that they're gonna forgo that mentality of just shut up in color. For those of you who are all caught up, I do have tons of full-length episodes available either through my Patreon page or Military Murder Premium on Apple Podcasts. By subscribing to my premium content, you get every single episode completely ad-free, all the way from episode one. But you also have immediate access to dozens of episodes that have never been shared on my public feed. My goal is to one day return to a weekly show, and I can only do that with your support. All right, I'm done blabbing, but I feel so much gratitude for everyone that listens. I have seen so many amazing reviews come through Apple Podcast, and honestly, your words are so kind. Please keep those reviews coming wherever you listen because those are so important in a world that is oversaturated with true crime content. So many of you may have heard today's story if you signed up for my newsletter a while back because I recorded this story close to two years ago and I sent it out to everybody. But after I released the episode, surprise, surprise, the army responded to my FOIA request and I got access to the record of trial. So with that, there are updates to this episode for those of you who may have heard it through my newsletter. Today, I'm going to tell you a story of a happy-go-lucky 19-year-old soldier, Private First Class Valerie Gamboa. 
she was stationed in beautiful Germany, really close to Heidelberg. I personally was stationed in Germany for three years. And when I tell you that it is a beautiful country, I mean it. It's like living in a fairy tale. You are just beep bopping along waiting for Disney type frozen love trolls to pop up and start singing. It's that beautiful. But I digress. Valerie was living the dream. Then she met an older soldier who swept her off her feet until he showed her his true colors. Join me today as I tell you about the murder of Valerie Gamboa. Now, let's dig in. Valerie Gamboa grew up in San Antonio, Texas. She was one of eight kiddos in her family. She was the fourth in line, but she always made her mama proud. Although she was the fourth, she was the first to graduate from high school in her family. And she didn't just, you know, willy-nilly graduate. She kicked booty. She graduated in the top 12% of her high school class. She was a very outgoing and athletic person. And by athletic, I mean it. She took district honors in volleyball. And even though she came from a pretty big city, she knew that there was more to the world than good old Texas. She wanted to see the world. Valerie went to college for two whole weeks. But then a recruiter got to her. They were like, enlist in the army and we'll pay for your college. Say what now? Mmm, sounds pretty good. She began eyeing her options. And like almost everybody in our stories, she thought the military was her ticket out of Texas. And hey, a free college education? You can't beat that. Her mom, Carol Posada, was worried. It was 2006 and the war overseas didn't seem to have an end in sight. My daughter, the army? No way. But Valerie knew it was the only way for her to progress in life. Valerie went to army boot camp and then she trained to be a human resource specialist. And then in April of 2006, she got her first assignment. Germany! I imagine Valerie's face lit up. Her dreams were finally becoming a reality. And when she told her mom, her mom was relieved. Okay, at least for this assignment, Valerie would be safe. Or so she thought. Valerie was assigned to the headquarters company of the 1st Personnel Command in Schweitzingen, Germany. Because Valerie was practically straight out of high school, she was an eager troop. She was always exploring and always asking questions. She didn't just do what was asked. She wanted to know the why. And listen, this is great. You want people to become experts and you want people who are passionate about their craft. Part of being a personnelist in Germany entailed a short rotation in the casualty section for Valerie. The casualty section is where personnelists have to deal with documents about soldiers who were killed on duty, whether in combat or otherwise. Stars and Stripes reporting by Matt Millam made it seem like the casualty section wasn't a good fit for Valerie, and she was quickly moved after a short, quote, tryout period. But hey, listen, that type of job is not meant for everyone. In the first 10 months that Valerie was in Germany, she kept her promise to travel. She went to Spain, France, the Netherlands, and she actually visited the beautiful castles in Germany. And she told her mom how happy she was. During this time frame, Valerie also told her mom about a military man she met in June of 2006. His name was Mario Lassane. He wooed her with roses and romantic dates. Now listen, his name is spelled a little different, but I've heard it pronounced Lassane. It could be wrong. Well, after Valerie told her mom, her mom thought, hey, she sounds happy. Until Valerie began to share that once she began dating Mariel, he didn't want her going out with her friends anymore, and he pretty much was putting a damper on all her plans. Within months of dating Mariel, Valerie told her mom she wanted to break up with him. Carol told her, Mamacita, you're too young for that crap. 
I'm glad that you're putting your foot down. You want to travel, you do you. You see, since Valerie came from a big family, she was used to having nonstop people around her all the time. And she loved living in the Tompkins barracks in Germany. There were about 200 or so soldiers who lived in the barracks and there was never a dull moment. And there were always people who just wanted to hang out. And that's what Valerie wanted to do. Well, it appeared that Valerie made up her mind about Mariel. She just couldn't find the right moment to break up with him. That Christmas, 2006, Valerie traveled from Germany to San Antonio, Texas to visit her family. She was there for about two or three weeks on leave. But according to Mario, right before she left, she had gained the courage to tell him that she wanted to cool things off and she wanted to take her time away from Germany to think about the relationship. So it was like she broke up with him, but she kind of left the door open for something to happen in the future. This, of course, infuriated Mario, but there was nothing he could do. According to Mario, while Valerie was home, she met up with her ex-boyfriend that she met at AIT and she hung out with him occasionally posting a picture or two with him on her MySpace account, because remember, it's 2006, 2007 timeframe. Mario was furious at seeing these pictures. So it's unclear how the rocky relationship between Valerie and Mario changed when she returned to Germany from leave. But Mario remembered being very upset when within days of her return, she posted more pictures of her ex-boyfriend on her MySpace account. Mario confided in one of his two roommates that he was devastated because, listen, he was trying to stay faithful to Valerie, even though they weren't together, but he felt that she was off gallivanting with other dudes, which is odd because, like I said, Valerie had told him that she wanted to basically take a break. And when Valerie returned from leave, Mario did what he thought he needed to do to keep his girl. He brought up the topic of marriage. Valerie was beside herself, not from happiness, but she was like, oh, what? This guy's insane. And she told him she actually scoffed at the idea of marriage, reminding him, listen, dude, I'm 19 years old and she wasn't planning on getting married. To which Mario responded, quote, I'm not asking you, I'm telling you, end quote, or words to that effect. I'm sorry, what? Hi, everyone. For anyone who follows me on Instagram, I recently posted a picture of me with my kiddos at Disney in front of the Disney castle. But I posted it because my shoulders were looking on fire, defined, toned, and overall just pleasant to look at. So many of you asked me in my DMs for my secret. And of course, my secret is 4 a.m. workouts. But I get the oomph to wake up at 4 a.m. and work out from my pre-workout drink called Energy Explosion. My pre-workout powder was created by world-renowned fitness guru, Natalia Melofit. I have been following Natalia for many years now. And in fact, after my second C-section, I hired her as my fitness trainer. And she also helped me postpartum with my third C-section as well. So when she came out with a pre-workout supplement that didn't cause any of the jitters and the crashing, I knew I needed to try it. Energy Explosion helps with energy and it keeps me going all through the morning hours. Because I take it first thing in the morning, which is when I choose to work out, I no longer require that morning cup of joe. This pre-workout has nootropic ingredients, which significantly help me personally with mental clarity and focus. Which listen, when you're juggling what feels like hundreds of tasks a day, it truly does help. And guess what? My listeners are getting 15% off your order. What? Yes, please. If you're ready to get the pump without the jitters, visit mbodysup.com and enter my code MAMAMARGO at checkout for 15% off your order. 
That's M as in Mike, body, sup as in Sierra, uniform, papa, papa, dot com. Add energy explosion to your car and use my code Mama Margo, that's M-A-M-A-M-A-R-G-O-T for 15% off. Enjoy. And when you use it, please DM me so we can talk about your workouts. Valerie lived in Tompkins Barracks in building 4253 in room 125. She had a suite where she had her own bedroom, but she had a shared bathroom and kitchen with a roommate. When Valerie returned from her holiday leave, her old roommate moved out and a new soldier by the name of Jamie moved in with Valerie. Jamie had just returned from a one-year deployment. And on the weekend of January 21st, Jamie's boyfriend, Larry, was visiting. So let me tell you a little bit about Jamie. Specialist Jamie was a native of Nome, Alaska. I believe it's pronounced Nome, but I could be wrong. It's N-O-M-E, and I apologize if I said that wrong. But Jamie grew up in California. She told Stars and Stripes that she joined the Army on a whim one day when she just happened to bump into a recruiting station. By the time that Jamie and Valerie were roommates, Jamie was a few months shy of her enlistment contract ending, and she was actually planning on leaving the military in May of that year. She was so excited to start life as a civilian. As I said earlier, she had just returned from a year-long deployment. I actually found one of those deployment holiday videos that, that's put on by Public Affairs. Well, in December of 2006, just a few weeks before this story takes place, Jamie made a video for her family back home to say happy holidays. And it was interesting because as Jamie was making this video, her folks back in the U.S. surprised her because they had her parents in the studio to return the holiday wishes. Jamie's eyes began to fill with tears of joy. You could tell that she really missed home. Her mom and dad had a little chat with her and they ended by saying, see you soon. I don't know about you, but those videos always get me. Also, if you're ever in a mood to cry, but you can't, you know, when you're in one of those moods, just watch those military member coming home videos or surprising their young kids. Oh my God. I know you know exactly what I'm talking about, but those videos always get me in the feels every single time. All right, let's fast forward to January 20th. On January 20th at roughly 10 p.m., Valerie and Mario were hanging out at his place. Now, remember, this is a few weeks after she got back from her leave. It's unclear from all my research and reading through the record of trial, the status of Valerie and Mario's relationship on this particular date. But they were hanging out at his place and Valerie contacted another male soldier who I will call JJ. She wanted to know if he wanted to go hang out with Valerie and Mario. JJ said yes, and he met up with the duo. They went to a local bar, but it was super crowded. It was so crowded, in fact, that it was hard to really have fun. They ordered one round of drinks, they played foosball, and they returned to Mario's house. They hung out there for a while, but it wasn't even midnight yet when Valerie, Mario, and JJ headed to a club called Visions in Sandhausen. While they were there, a group of soldiers from Valerie's unit showed up and came over. One soldier, JL, in particular, was talking to Valerie, and Mario became uber upset. So upset, in fact, that he confronted JL, telling him to stay away from his girl. JL told Mario, whoa, I'm the least of your worries, bro. He was engaged to be married, and he and Valerie were just friends. But just to note that JL lived right across the hallway from Valerie's barracks room, so just tuck that in the back pocket for later. Anyway, this conversation seemed to put Mario at ease, as he later had a drink with JL. At around 3.30 in the morning, the original trio, JJ, Mario, and Valerie, they all left the bar and they headed toward Mario's house. 
Back at Mario's house, Mario asked his roommate if he could borrow the roommate's car to drive Valerie home. But the roommate was like, "Mm, no. (laughs) Turns out the roommate wasn't just being a jerk, however. Mario had his base driving privileges suspended after he got a DUI and he had been drinking that night anyway. Mario and Valerie walked into Mario's apartment where Mario was yelling at Valerie so loudly that one of his roommates was startled awake and couldn't get back to sleep. At one point, Mario, still yelling at Valerie, walked into his bathroom and Valerie, probably completely over having a man yelling in her face, walked out of the apartment. Nearby, there was a taxi and Valerie got into it. But not even a few seconds later, Mario joined her in the cab, despite her pleas to him that she didn't want him at her place. But he nonetheless told the taxi driver to just go. Mario lived in a different base. So when the taxi arrived at Tompkins Barracks, it dropped them off at the gate and they walked the rest of the way. As luck would have it, right as they were being dropped off in their taxi at Tompkins Barracks, the group of soldiers that had been at Visions was also getting dropped off. The gaggle of soldiers walked in the same general direction, kind of together, but kind of not. Mario and Valerie, however, were not immediately next to each other. Mario choosing to walk ahead and sit at a table in front of Valerie's barracks. Now, just FYI, her barracks room was about a five to 10 minute walk from the front gate. As Valerie was walking alone, up came JL, who was also heading that way, because remember, they lived in the same barracks. Valerie whispered to JL that she didn't want Mario there but he followed her. JL hadn't even seen Mario because he was just sitting at the table glaring over. Valerie and JL just walked straight into the building without hesitation, but in walked Mario right behind them. JL said goodbye and walked into his place. By this point, Valerie walked into her place and it was silent inside. It was just after four o'clock in the morning and unbeknownst to Valerie and Mario, Jamie and Larry had just gotten back to the barracks roughly 30 minutes earlier. And remember, Jamie was Valerie's roommate. Well, soon after Valerie and Mario arrived home, Jamie and Larry were laying in bed when all of a sudden, Jamie heard Valerie scream. Not like a quick scream, it was like a cry for help. Jamie jumped out of bed, grabbed her blanket and walked to Valerie's room to see what the commotion was about. And that's when she walked into the most horrific scene that will be forever etched in her mind. Recently, I covered two unsolved cases, which I am sure caused you to pause and analyze your inner detective. Well, if you want to hone in on that inner detective, then you need to check out June's Journey. June's Journey is a mobile game that you can play anywhere while connected to Wi-Fi. June's Journey takes you through the main character, June's, adventure to uncover family secrets. Her first task is to uncover the mystery of her sister's death. You will be using your keen eye to spot hidden clues in the immersive scenes that take you across the globe. The scene is set in the 1920s, so it's like going back in time. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game, and I love playing while waiting for my kids at the bus stop. It allows me to clear my mind from the tasks of the day and to refocus on my mommy duties. What I love about June's Journey is that not only are you searching for objects, but you can join other players online in a detective club. And then you also get to design this luxurious island estate that is all yours. And if you have friends who play, you can gift each other trees, flowers, and other amazing decorative items. Today, I invite you to escape reality and immerse yourself in the world of June Parker. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Go ahead, download June's Journey today.
A few minutes before Jamie heard the scream, Valerie and Mario had gotten back from a night of drinking and fighting. They were in Valerie's room and Mario went out to the kitchen, grabbed one of the brand new Ikea knives that Jamie had just recently purchased and returned to Valerie's room. A scuffle ensued and Mario began to stab Valerie with the knife over and over as she fought for her life. Valerie screamed for help. She just needed anyone to stop the stabbing. Just then, Jamie walked in. When she peered into the room, Valerie's body was face down on the mattress and Mario had her pinned to the bed. He had his knee in her back and one foot on the ground. He had the knife and he had no mercy. He was stabbing her over and over again. Then when Jamie walked into the room for a quick second, everything froze as Mario, Valerie and Jamie all realized they all knew exactly what was happening. Jamie screamed in horror, but Mario doubled down. He yanked Valerie's head by the hair as he drew Valerie's head backwards. Valerie looked at Jamie, realizing this might be her last moments on earth. Then Mario ruthlessly slashed Valerie's throat twice from ear to ear. Jamie ran as quick as she could, but Mario leaped across the room and gave chase. It appears that Jamie made it to the shared living space, but she didn't get far. Mario pounced on Jamie like a lion hunting a gazelle. He drew the knife that he just used to stab Valerie 23 times, and he pulled it up over his head as he stabbed Jamie over and over again. Jamie's screams filled the room. Just then, Jamie's boyfriend, Larry, ran over, unsure what the hell was going on, and he shouted, is he stabbing you? Then Larry quickly drew on his training. He wrestled the knife away from Mario, grabbing him by the head and slamming his head against the wall, punching Mario so hard that a bone in his hand snapped in two. Then Larry put Mario in a chokehold where he kept him subdued for a hot minute. Mario knew he was toast and he yelled, oh, okay, okay, okay. Just let me go and I'll turn myself in. But Larry wasn't an idiot. No can do, amigo. While Mario was in a headlock, Jamie was able to get up and stumble into the hallway and screamed for help. As spectators filled the hallway in horror, remember, it's four o'clock in the freaking morning, Larry pulled Mario into the hallway and he also yelled for help. But at some point, he loosened his grip and Mario was able to get out of his T-shirt as he took off wearing only pants. That's right. No shirt, no shoes. He jumped over Jamie and just sped out of the barracks room. As Mario ran off, he passed the staff duty NCOIC, who was up doing rounds. The residents of the barracks quickly called 911 and assisted both Valerie and Jamie. Jamie was still breathing, but her breath was labored. Her eyes filled with terror as she tried to say words, but all that came out were gurgling noises. For whatever reason, the ambulance took 25 minutes to arrive. But by then, Valerie had stopped moving. She was dead from multiple sharp injuries, including two gashes to her throat, two stabs to the breast, two to the shoulder, and a cut in her forearm, and many defensive wounds. Jamie and Larry were taken to the ER where they were both treated for their wounds. Jamie had been stabbed a total of five times. The initial blow was over her head, lacerating her scalp. The other four stabs were to her back and shoulder, and Larry had sustained broken bones in his hand. Back at Tompkins Barracks remained a bloody crime scene that had to be thoroughly combed for evidence. Jamie told Stars and Stripes that a sergeant from First Personnel Command cleaned up the crime scene alone, 
because they didn't want any other soldiers to have to endure the horrendous crime scene. So who is Mario? Mario Lassane was a 26-year-old Heidelberg medic. Specifically, he was a cast technician. So if someone needed a cast at the clinic, he would do intake, get them fitted, put the cast on, that type of stuff. He arrived at Heidelberg in February of 2005. He lived in a separate location from Valerie. He lived in the single soldier's barracks on Mark Twain Village. He was born in Killeen, Texas, although mostly raised in Fayetteville, North Carolina. He was a military brat and he had been in the army for seven years by the time of our story. A little while before Valerie's murder, Mario had been demoted as a result of non-judicial punishment due to failure to obey a lawful order. Just two days before Valerie's murder, Mario got in trouble for snapping at a German national co-worker. During his conversation with the superior, Mario shared that he was struggling financially due to the demotion and that he felt lonely. Besides this, little else is known about Mario. Although reporting by Nancy Montgomery indicates that in 2003, Mario had been accused of assaulting a former girlfriend. People who knew Valerie and Mario knew that Valerie had plans to break up with him. They said that according to Valerie, he was jealous, obsessive, and intent on controlling every aspect of her life. So let's get back to the night of the crime. Well, once Mario got away from Larry, little is known as to what he did for the following 13 or so hours. But at around 6 p.m., Mario was beep-bopping along the street to Svetzingen. Although everyone was looking for him, he really wasn't hiding. It was then that Valerie's old roommate spotted Mario walking in the street. As they made eye contact, Mario sped up and the roommate snuck into a restaurant and she asked the owner to call 911. When the German police arrived, they attempted to stop Mario, but he kept at it until another German cop car pulled up and cornered him. And that's how he got caught. Thank goodness for vigilant people. Mario was charged by the military with premeditated murder, attempted murder, and assault. He ended up pleading guilty to unpremeditated murder, and he pled guilty to the rest of the charges as charged. And it was up to the prosecution at that point to prove up the murder charge from unpremeditated to premeditated. At the partial guilty plea two-day trial, which took place in June of 2007, everyone waited with bated breath to hear Mario's version of events. They wanted the why. But if they came for answers, they got zip, nothing. In court, Colonel James Pohl, the military judge, asked Mario what happened. But Mario didn't really give much details about the murder. He basically said everything was fuzzy. Those were his words. He painted this picture. I was outside her barracks room and then I'm transported to her room and she has a blank stare on her face and then there was blood. The judge was like, whoa there. Are you pleading guilty of your own free will or what? Do you remember or do you not remember? Mario definitely claimed he didn't remember grabbing the knife. But after some prodding from the judge, Mario admitted that he wanted both Valerie and Jamie dead. While he didn't specifically remember grabbing the knife from the kitchen, he did remember stabbing Valerie, but didn't remember how many times he stabbed her. Although he did recall stabbing her because he wanted her to die. Judge Pohl then asked him, why did you want her to die? Referring to Valerie. And he basically said, I don't know. Judge Pohl asked, if you don't know why you wanted her dead, how do you know you intended to kill her? With that question, Mario was stumped. So much so that the judge had to call a recess. 
And this usually happens to give the defendant an opportunity to talk to his lawyer to try to figure out the question, try to figure out if the defendant is actually capable of pleading guilty at all. It appeared that Mario got clarification during the break from his attorneys. After the recess, Judge Pohl asked the question again. If you don't know why you wanted her dead, how do you know you intended to kill her? To which Mario replied, quote, Your Honor, I'm not exactly sure why. I know that at that time, that's what I wanted to do, but I don't know exactly what triggered it. I really have tried to think about it, end quote. He offered that the reason he couldn't remember is because the situation was so painful for him that he blocked it out. When asked about Jamie and his intent while he stabbed her, remember Jamie was a roommate, Mario replied he would have killed her too had Larry not saved her life. At trial, after all the evidence was presented and after Jamie took the witness stand as stoic as ever, Mario was found guilty of premeditated murder, attempted murder, and assault. During the sentencing phase, Mario's father, Reginald Lassane, told the judge, quote, he's my only son. He was a good kid. He was so quiet. I just don't understand what went wrong. I beg you, I ask you to please have mercy on my son, end quote. The prosecution rebuffed that there should be no mercy for a selfish man who took Valerie from her family too soon. Captain Ingolf told the judge, quote, there's no answer. There's no reason. There's no excuse, end quote. Her mother will never see her get married nor have kids because of him. Mario, in a last-ditch effort to give a statement during an unsworn, he apologized greatly for all the pain, but he said, quote, this was never an issue of control or jealousy, end quote. And then he tried to place blame on the victim by saying that Valerie was stubborn. Come on, man, really? If you're going to apologize, apologize and sit down. Don't blame the victim. After deliberating, the judge returned his sentence of life with the possibility of parole. But due to the plea trial agreement, Mario's sentence was capped at 99 years in prison. That, in essence, means that at some point, Mario Lassane will be eligible for parole. So I learned something very interesting as I was doing research for this case. On the same day that Mario was sentenced to 99 years in prison, Jamie and Larry, the victims who survived this case, they got married. They had survived tragedy. Larry was Jamie's hero and she knew she couldn't live without him. They welcomed a son in November of 2007 and Jamie delivered the baby in the same hospital where she recovered from her injuries. The couple sat down with Stars and Stripes to discuss life after the traumatic event that they had endured. And even though they are survivors, survivor stories are sometimes equally tragic. Depression, survivor's guilt, and post-traumatic stress disorder are just a few of the many things that survivors must endure, sometimes for the rest of their lives. Jamie told Nancy Montgomery that for a while she suffered from extreme paranoia, sitting only in the corner of rooms in an effort to always have eyes on the exits. She thought the same thing was going to happen all over again. But Jamie explained that her unit was extremely understanding. She saw a counselor, and if she ever had a panic attack at work, her coworkers were always immediately by her side to comfort her. Larry, the one who had suffered the least amount of physical injuries, his unit didn't quite understand the psychological injuries and effects, and they acted like nothing happened. But Larry was seriously struggling, and this is common in male survivors. They suffer a lot in silence for fear of retribution. 
They want to be tough. And in the military, they feel like they need to be mentally tough. But Larry shared with Stars and Stripes that he suffered from insomnia and depression, but he had to be a tough guy. And through being a tough guy, he didn't realize what he was doing to himself. But once he came to the realization, he recognized the pain. Sadly, a few months after Valerie's murder and Larry's heroic act, he smoked marijuana while he was still on active duty in an effort to help him cope with the recurrent awful memories of July 21st. And when he was chosen for a random urinalysis and tested positive, the Army demoted him to private first class. Although he was back on track after the positive drug test, he still recognizes that he wouldn't change a thing from that day. Like most heroes who don't want to acknowledge the magnitude of their actions, Larry has said, quote, I was doing what I was supposed to do, protect and serve, end quote. I just got like chills on my body as I said that. Of course, most of you who listen know that my Google skills are on point. So I wanted to see what Mario was up to, even though he's in jail. And imagine my surprise to see that he has his own website. What? Yep. On his bio page, he tells people that he often goes by either Fess or Sane. He's a songwriter and a poet and in the process of rewriting a book. A few years ago, Mario also had a pen pal profile on the website Another Chance Pen Pal Network. Of being in jail, he said, the situation I'm currently in has strengthened me and taught me so many life lessons and I take every day and every lesson I learn as a blessing. A quick search in the Bureau of Prisons website shows that Mario, his release date is listed in 2088, but in a few years, he will likely get his first look at parole. Valerie was only 19 years old at the time of her passing, and she was living every young soldier's dream. She joined the military to see the world, and she was doing just that in beautiful Germany. But she got caught up with a man who was controlling and violent. Statistically speaking, women and men in violent relationships are more likely to be killed in the period from breakup until six months after the breakup. And this is a very vulnerable period. Domestic violence is a real problem, and it's a real problem in the military, not just with married couples, but also with dating couples. It's one that is usually underreported, and then when reported, the charges are dropped because the person who is physically abusive or emotionally abusive promises that they're going to change. They can't live without you. Please, please, please. And then because that person has at one point been kind, they fool the victim into believing that they will change. Charges are dropped and usually the cycle starts all over again, but becomes increasingly more controlling and violent. So I wanted to share something with you today before I leave. You know, my number one true crime army rule is that divorce is better than murder. Now, that rule doesn't necessarily apply to this case because they weren't married. But after I say that rule, sometimes I've had people actually email me after I give my number one true crime army rule and they're like, yeah. You always say that divorce is better than than murder, but sometimes counseling is the answer, not divorce. And listen, to that I say, no, 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 no. Divorce is better than murder. By the time that murder is even on your mind, you need to run, not waltz out of a relationship. So yes, I understand that counseling is helpful and sometimes people go through rough spots. I get that. But when someone is physically controlling and violent, you probably need to get out of that relationship. There are resources for those who are in unsafe situations. The National Domestic Violence Hotline is available 24-7. 
you can call them at 1-800-799-7233. Or if you prefer to text, text love is altogether L-O-V-E-I-S, to 1-866-331-9474. As I have stated before in other episodes, the tragedies that I discuss affect so many more people than those named in those stories. There are the parents of the victims, the parents or the perpetrators that are often left thinking, where did I go wrong? And the siblings, the aunts, the uncles, the nephews, they're all victims. During the trial, Mariel's parents apologized to Jamie and they embraced. I have learned so many things in the years since I started covering these cases. Many families of murdered soldiers, sailors, Marines and airmen, they seem to have a similar sentiment. They feel that those who are murdered on active duty are sometimes remembered less frequently than those who die in combat. But why? They all served. Scott Huddleton reported on this very issue. He spoke with Kim Smith. Now, Kim lost her son, Robert Franz, when he was hit with an insurgent grenade. It was tragic, but Kim believes that Valerie's story should get equal the amount of airtime as her son. Kim said, quote, I don't care what the cause of death was. She was military. This is not a casualty of war. This is worse, end quote. This issue is so sad and should be considered. Valerie's case was covered in San Antonio and Stars and Stripes, but for the life of me, I couldn't even find one picture of Valerie. And that right there made me so sad. I just wanted to say, I love you, True Crime Army. Please be safe. My sources for today's case come largely due to the amazing reporting by Stars and Stripes reporters, specifically Nancy Montgomery, Michael Abras, Matt Millam, and Steve Mraz. Um, Reporting in My San Antonio by Scott Huddleston and a few blogs by Mario Lassine himself. I also mentioned that I did receive a FOIA response from the Army and I received the entire record of trial, so I had access to the stipulation of fact as well as the entire guilty plea. Be sure to follow me on social on Instagram at Military Murder Podcast and on my TikTok at Military Margot with a T at the end. This show was created by Mama Margot Productions and is produced in collaboration with my bootcamp and higher fan club members. The music was created by TyOps. Until next time, remember, you never really know what someone is capable of, so remain vigilant always. You have a fabulous week and I'll keep digging to bring you another military murder story next time. Working on our podcast. I don't want to.